So in general, in general, the majority of people in America know that Jesus said three things. They know that he said three things. Love your neighbor, judge not lest you be judged, and treat others the way Chick-fil-A treats you. (laughs) People know that Jesus said those three things. But almost nobody knows what Jesus says in our passage today. And that's because what Jesus says here is so harsh and so offensive that people don't know what to do with it. (laughs) They're like, whoa, Jesus, he's up there, bud. They don't know what to do with it, so they just gloss over it and move along to his other, quote, easier teachings. And you know what? That's a shame. That's a shame. Because I think this is one of the most wonderful teachings from Jesus in the Gospels. Let's check it out. Uh, If you're new with us, we've been going through the Gospel of Mark, just verse by verse every Sunday. And today we come to Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. Uh, If you don't have your Bible with you, it's no big deal. Uh, These verses are in the bulletin. So we're looking at Mark chapter 7, verses 24 through 30. Verse 24. Jesus left that place and went to the vicinity of Tyre. He entered a house and did not want anyone to know it, yet he could not keep his presence secret. In fact, as soon as she heard about him, a woman whose little daughter was possessed by an impure spirit came and fell at his feet. The woman was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. She begged Jesus to drive the demon out of her daughter. First, let the children eat all they want, he told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs. Lord, she replied, even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. Then he told her, For such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. This is God's word. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for these incredible words. Thank you for, most of all, who these words point us to. And that is your glorious Son. And Father, we pray that your Spirit would move in each of us today. That we wouldn't just check some religious box here this morning, but that we would see Jesus. That we would have a meeting with Jesus and give him what he deserves, which, which is all the glory and honor, the pra- all of the praise. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. Okay, so this is the only recorded time that Jesus ever left the territory of Israel. This is the only time that he left Israel. And he was going out into, quote, unclean Gentile turf. Gentile turf. Now, the most religiously correct Jews did not associate with Gentiles at all. The Jews often referred to Gentiles as dogs. As dogs. And shockingly, 
So does Jesus here in this text. If you look at verse 27, first let the children eat all they want, he told her. Who is the children? The children is the nation of Israel. First, let Israel eat, he told her. For it is not right to take the children's bread and toss it to the dogs, the Gentiles. Now, wait a minute. What happened to our tender, sweet Jesus? What's going on here? (laughs) There's really just no way to soften what Jesus says here. There's no way to soften it. What he says to this Gentile woman, as if it's not offensive. Now, we are currently living in a dog-loving culture. How many of you have dogs? I got a dog. Three of y'all? Got <laughs> Maybe we're not living in a dog-loving culture. Um, I thought we were, but uh, these people in our story today definitely were not. The vast majority of people did not like dogs. Why? Well, at this time, dogs were, most of them were wild, and they were considered dangerous and unclean. So dogs are dangerous and they're unclean, which is why the Jews call the Gentiles dogs, because they consider Jews to be, or the Jews consider Gentiles to be dangerous and unclean. Now, I've heard pastors try really hard to soften Jesus's words here. I mean, they try all sorts of ways to ease up on the harshness here. They'll say things like this. They'll say, well, you know, if you look at the Greek, if you look at the Greek text, uh, the word Jesus uses here refers to a house dog, not to a wild dog. Okay, fine, I'll grant you that. But I can go ahead and promise you this. If I tell my wife, honey, you're a lot like our house dog. That's kind of how I think of you, about the same as our house dog. Now, you're not a wild dog. You're just more like a pet, more like one of our pets. If I tell my wife that, I can guarantee you I will be sleeping outside with the dog that night. Why? Because it's offensive. (laughs) It's offensive. It doesn't matter if Jesus is referring to a wild dog Or a house dog, it's offensive to call somebody a dog. (laughs) It just is. There's just no way around it. Now, Jesus is not above name calling. This is not the first time Jesus has called someone a name. He calls the Pharisees a brood of vipers. He calls the nation of Israel whores. And he calls Peter Satan. That's a pretty rough one. Satan. But, you know, this instance is a little different than all of those. It's different. Why do I say that? Well, when Jesus calls religious folks a brood of vipers, he does so because they're acting like snakes. So it kind of makes sense, you know. When he calls Israel whores, he does so because they are spiritual adulterers. And when he calls Peter Satan, he does so because Peter is doing the work of the devil. But this woman, in our story today, she ain't doing any of that. All she wants is for her daughter to be healed. She's not doing anything wrong. And Jesus tells her he did not come for 
dogs like her. So what in the world is Jesus doing? Well, what he's doing is he's borrowing from the cultural mindset of his time. He just says what the Jews around him were thinking. It's all he does. Jesus is our Messiah, not yours, lady. Jesus is the son of David. And I don't know if you know this, but David is our guy. He's our guy, not yours. This kingdom is not for you, hon. It's for God's special chosen people. And so Jesus simply echoes that sentiment that they're all thinking. And his Jewish disciples beside him nod their heads in agreement. Yeah, get her, Jesus, get her. You tell her. You tell her what's up, Jesus. Now, it's important at this point to remember that Jesus' entire ministry was an assumption of sin. The whole thing was. It's the assumption of the collective sin of the human race. It wasn't just at Calvary. No, his baptism was about this. His miracles were about this. His teachings were about this. His parables were about this. Everything he did was about this. Now, one thing is certain about this Gentile woman in our story. She is a sinner. She is. And she cannot have faith in the Jewish Messiah. She cannot. She's a dirty, rotten Gentile. This ain't for her. Gentiles don't believe in the right God. They don't keep the law. They don't worship in the right way, etc., etc. This ain't for her. Jesus is not her Messiah. And as Jesus puts these Jewish thoughts on his lips, he sets up an incredible opportunity for her, the dog, to show far more faith than the Jews. Now, even in our dog-loving culture today, we do not like being called dogs, do we? No. It's demeaning and it's offensive. But why? You ever thought about that? Like, why is that the case? Why is it so offensive? Why is it such an insult? Well, when you think about it, it's really only an insult if you think too highly of yourself. It's only an insult if you think really highly of yourself, if you think you're better than that. You see, it's easy, Mr. and Mrs. Christian, to call yourself a servant. Oh, I'm a servant of the Lord. It's easy to call yourself a servant until someone talks to you like one. Until someone treats you like one. And then we'll see. We'll see how much of a servant you really are. When someone talks to you like a dog. Now, how did this woman respond 
to Jesus talking to her like a servant, like a dog. Well, she does the most amazing thing conceivable. She beats Jesus in an argument. <laughs> she beats him. And that's exactly what Jesus wanted her to do. He wants her to win this exchange. Incredibly, she responds to Jesus and says, you call me a dog? Guess what? You're right. You're right. I am a dog. There's no doubt about it. But, but, even dogs eat the crumbs from their master's table. <laughs> Got him! Got him. She got him, boy. Martin Luther just absolutely loved this passage. He was blown away by it. <laughs> Martin Luther said, this woman trapped Jesus in his own words. And of course, that's precisely what Jesus wanted her to do. It's precisely what he wanted. Now, this isn't the first time Jesus has done something like this. In the Old Testament, God tells Moses, he says to Moses, he says, that's it. I'm done. I am done with the people of Israel. All they do is whore around on me. And so I'm going to kill them all and be done with them. And Moses responds to God like this. He says, that's a great plan, Lord, as long as you want to be known as a liar. As long as you want to be the God who goes back on his promises. You promised to bless Israel. You promised. And God said, oh yeah, that's right. I did. I did promise to bless Israel. So I guess even though she whores around on me, I will bless her just as I promised I would. Okay, well, the God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. And so Jesus, just as he did with Moses, he sets a trap for himself to be caught in by this woman. So he sets the trap, and then she springs the trap and catches the God of the universe in it. Oh, and he loves it. <laughs> oh, man, he loves it. Please do not miss what Jesus then says to her. Do not miss this. A huge smile comes across his face, and he says in verse 29, let's read it. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. One translation uh, has 
the beginning of verse 29 with Jesus saying, what a reply, exclamation mark. Another translation as Jesus saying, good answer, exclamation point. <laughs> In Matthew's telling of this story, Jesus says, great is your faith. And the Greek language in Matthew is very strong. Jesus is absolutely elated with her response. He is elated with it. Why? Why is he so happy with this woman? Well, this woman understood two things about Jesus that not even any of his disciples understood. So point number one in your outline. She understood two things. Number one, she understood who Jesus was. His disciples didn't get it, but she got it. She knew that this was not some Joe Blow Jewish rabbi. Oh no. He was more. He was sent from above. And she knew that one word from him would heal her daughter. Just one word from Jesus. And so she approaches him, not on the basis of who she is, but on the basis of who he is. He is the king. And she knows that there is so much food on his table that he has plenty enough for her and her daughter. I mean, you can't even imagine how happy Jesus is with this woman right now. That's number one. She understood who Jesus was, and number two, she understood who she was. None of his disciples really knew who they were, but she knew who she was. Jesus called her a dog to her face, and she did not disagree. She did not argue with him. Now, you and I, we get all hot and bothered when people insult us. Ah, how dare you? Don't you know who I am? Sweetheart, you don't have any idea who you are. You don't have any idea who you really are. But this woman, she knew. She knew exactly who she was. Now, we get hot and bothered, me especially. Look, the finger is pointed right at me here. Me especially, I get all hot and bothered when I'm insulted, and that's because I think so highly of myself. I think I'm pretty special. But look at this woman. Look at her. She doesn't get her back up. She doesn't put her dukes out. She doesn't scoff at Jesus' insult. She receives it as truth. I love an old Charles Spurgeon quote. He said this, he said, When someone insults you, do not be upset with them. For you are far worse than they think you to be. Far worse. The depths of your sins and failures knows no end. 
And this Gentile woman knew it. You and I have no idea who we are. We think we're pretty special. But this woman knew exactly who she was. She knew she was a dog, unworthy to sit at Jesus' table. Now, you say, well, that's offensive. I don't care what you say, that's offensive. Okay, okay. I hear you, I hear you. But what if it's true? What if it's true? I mean, is it offensive for a doctor to tell you that you have stage four cancer? Is it offensive? I mean, I guess it is if he's lying. But what if you do have stage four cancer? Well, then it's not offensive at all. Now, it will sting really hard, of course, to hear the news. But it's not offensive. At least you now have a proper diagnosis. And with that proper diagnosis, something can be done about your situation. One commentator puts it like this. He writes, One does not give cause for despair if one warns sick people of the seriousness of their illness and urges them to see a doctor for a cure. Despair would rather come if one is falsely optimistic. And tells them that they don't need a physician while they steadily decline toward death. Do you see what he's saying? The really offensive thing is to tell people that they're okay. That's the worst thing you could tell them. Hey, you're good. You're a good person. You wave at your neighbor. You show up at your job on time. You come to church every now and then. It's, you're good. Give yourself an attaboy. You're a really good person. That is actually the offense. Because it's a lie. It's not true. What if being called a dog, a viper, a spiritual whore is a proper diagnosis for us? What if it is? Well, if it is a proper diagnosis, then it's the most loving thing that could be said to us. If we are truly sinful from the tops of our heads to the soles of our feet, if that is true, then we need to know that. We need to know that so something can be done. So we can search for a cure. And the good news is there is. A cure. The woman in our story, she knows exactly where to find the cure. Now she knows who she is. She knows she's a dog. She knows good and well that she's not worthy to sit at Jesus' table. But again, she does not approach him based on who she is. She approaches him based on who he is. She says, I know I'm a dog. I know I'm a sinner. I know I'm unworthy. 
I know I'm not good, but I know you are. I know you are good. And I know that there is enough blessing on your table that all I need is the crumbs. That's all I need. And just look how Jesus responds. Verses 29 through 30. Then he told her, for such a reply, you may go. The demon has left your daughter. She went home and found her child lying on the bed and the demon gone. Now, some of you might still have a problem with Jesus calling this woman a dog. Maybe it would help you to know that Jesus called himself something much worse. Much worse. In Psalm 22, King David writes prophetically of the Messiah, saying this, quote, I am a worm. A worm. Scorned by mankind and despised by the people. You see, this world is filled with things far worse than dogs. It's filled with God-haters, with rebels, with sinners. It's filled with you. And it's filled with me. And Jesus Christ came into this world to become a worm. To become scorned and despised in order to save us. This is the Christ who went to the cross, not just for the Jews, not just for the special chosen people of God. No, he went to the cross for you and for me. And on that cross, Jesus quotes from Psalm 22 when he says this. He says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That is directly from Psalm 22. And so when this woman says that the crumbs from the master's table are enough, what she's saying is that the very smallest thing from God can change her life forever. And she's right. The very smallest thing from God can bless you beyond measure. But God didn't give us the very smallest thing. He didn't give us the crumbs. He gave us the very best he has. He gave us his son. He gave us his spotless lamb to be bruised, to be scorned, to be laughed at, to be spit on, to be broken, to bleed and to die in our place for our sins. He gave his son to bear the judgment for sin that you and I deserved. 
and he was given. Not to feed us crumbs under the table, but to give us a seat at the table. Don't you see? Don't you see? The master himself became a dog, became a worm. To turn dogs like you and me into his sons and his daughters. We're about to take communion together. Because of COVID, we've been using these little individual communion cups. Pass me one there. We've been using these, uh, these little individual cups for communion. Uh, and now personally, I love having just a big loaf of bread up here <laughs> that we can all just like take a big hunk out of, you know, like a fistful of bread or like a big flask of Welch's up here, you know, we can get all, all get our cup full and we get, it's like a pre-lunch kind of almost, you know, it's like, all right, this is a lot of body of Jesus and this is a lot of blood. I love that. I just love it. And so sometimes I look at these, these teeny tiny little cups and look at the little teeny tiny piece of bread on the top and I think to myself, man, this is too small. This is not enough. I've had a worse week than this. <laughs> I need more body of Jesus. I need more blood. But then sometimes, sometimes, I remember what this woman said. She said, all I need is a crumb from his table, and I'll be healed, and my daughter will be healed. <laughs> and she's right. A crumb from the master's table will be more than enough. But incredibly Incredibly, he hasn't given me a crumb. He's given me a seat. He's given me a seat right next to him at his table. There's an old hymn that says this. Not worthy, Lord, to gather up the crumbs with trembling hand that from thy table fall. A weary, heavy-laden sinner comes to plead thy promise and obey thy call. I am not worthy to be thought thy child, nor sit the last and lowest at thy board. Too long a wanderer and too oft beguiled, I only ask one reconciling word. One, one word from thee, one smile, one look, and I could face the cold, rough world again. And with that treasure in my heart could brook the wrath of devils and the scorn of men. I hear thy voice, thou bidst me come and rest. I come, I kneel, I clasp thy pierced feet. Thou bidst me take my place, a welcomed guest. 
among thy saints and of thy banquet eat. Let's pray together.